podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast. Or your favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all. And therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash pause for 10% off your first month. Jonathan Pierce. Harry Kendall has jumped in and did a kung fu kick. A fan. Terry Alderton. Do you like shoes, madam? And... Friends. <laughs> JP. The mad side of genius. And T. Good to meet you, love. The football friendly. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of JP and T, the football friendly. And we have a massive special guest for you today. We have the Republic of Ireland International. We have the Liverpool uh, legend, West Ham, Fulham. Mr. Ray Houghton's with us. Ray, how you doing? Yeah, not bad, Jonathan. Good stuff. And Terry, what have you been up to? What have I been up to? Crying in my pants, usual thing. Uh, not into them, just walking around in them crying. Um, been a strange week, hasn't it? Well, well, yeah, it's been a really mad week. And it's... Oh, oh where do we go with this? They didn't cancel any other sport, did they? But they cancelled the football, which was... I, I was a little bit annoyed about that, I have to be honest with you. Very sad news. Not one for the Royals, to be honest with you, but I don't like to hear about bad things. Um, but cancelling the football... That that wasn't good for me. Did you ever meet her, Ray? Uh, when I was 11, <laughs> uh, I came down from Scotland and I was in temporary accommodation with my family over at Wood Green area. Um, yeah. And she came to visit the school uh, and in the classroom, she had a photograph taken with some of the pupils and I was one of them. Um, but it was a long time, 49 years ago, so I've not got the picture, uh, and I can't remember the the local newspaper who actually took the picture. But it would be nice to see that. But, That's uh, incredible, isn't it? The, the, the spans of her, you know that that when you were that young, I met her when, and I'm 10 years younger than you. Then I met her at probably the same age as you were, and then I met I met her then when I was 30, and I did the Royal Variety. So it's a crazy way that how long she was around. It is commendable, but I think now. It could all move on for me now, now, but that's that's just my opinion. What did but. she say to you at the Royal Variety Tell? I went to her. It's a long story, but Charlotte Church, where she was tugging at me next next to me, she was grabbing my hand. She said, you know when you meet the Queen? You know, she just shake your hand like this, right? And uh, I was like, okay. I said, you've met the Queen before. I'm really going to cut this down. But she went, yeah, I've, I've sung for the Queen five times. And I went, oh, right, okay. And I've just died on my arse, by the way, in front of 2,000 people in the Birmingham Hippodrome. And then uh, she's, she's knocked me again, and she's gone... Um, she goes, you know, Bill Clinton has a very long nose. And I'm going, Bill Clinton's got a... How, how do you know that? She goes, I've sung for him at the White House three times. And I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And I can hear the Queen getting closer and closer. And, Prince Philip, oh, you know. and then she knocked me again. And I went, yes. <laughs> and she went, when I met the Pope, right? And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. She's 12, right? And I've just died <laughs> in my ass. <laughs> <laughs> a big break so yeah and then the queen came and i forgot the mom and jam and all that rubbish and i just went all right to her she must have just all right it was all right <laughs> all right all right and then she shook my hand exactly how charlotte church said she would 
So there you go. That's my story of the Queen. 70 years. 70 incredible, yeah, but don't cancel the football. <laughs> well, we're, we're back and running now with football. and uh, Costa. What about Costa? I, I know you, you've got a big eye on that story, haven't you? What, what do you make of that, I Ray? think that's going to be poisonous, don't you, Ray? Sorry, is that again? Oh, Costa, coming to Co Wolves. Um, well, it'll it, be an interesting one. I mean, Wolves are at the stage, though, when you look where they are as a team, they have, they've had some fantastic years. It might be a struggle. You know, last season we've seen Burnley going down this season. I think we might see another big club who you thought would have been OK. They might start to slip down. So I think clubs start to look at the players they feel can do the best for them. And it's not always the best decision, you know, and you, as you're quite right. It's a, a massive decision to make, bringing them in, whether it's the right one or not. Only time will tell. But I, I get it. I, I see the practice. Even Nottingham Forest going out and buying so many players. It's panic at the end of it. Mm. A lot of clubs panic about... You know, have we got enough players in? Can we survive in this in this league? Because the rewards are so much. And the flip side, of course, being Bournemouth not bringing anyone in, and of course <laughs> Leicester. So, like, you know, there you go. You know, Southampton. I mean, I looked at them, um, and I actually thought that they had a good result against Leicester. But I thought they would struggle this season. You know, I just don't think a lot of teams when I look at them, are they going to score enough goals? And I think Wolves comes into that category. Are they? Mm. Are they the sort of side going to create enough chance chances? I know you've got Neto, Pedence and others, but losing one or two and looking at the midfield where you've got Martinho, you still got Ruben Neves, I still don't think there's enough creativity there. So I think you're always looking for someone who might have something a little bit special to change a game for you and be a match winner. And that's what clubs are looking out for at the minute. Yeah, I'm not sure he's put his own stamp on it yet, is he? Yeah, but I, I, I did watch him. In fairness, I did watch him the last game of the season against Liverpool when Liverpool needed to win and they needed... Aston Villa to do them a favourite Man City and they were one of the few teams that went to Anfield with a plan uh, and they actually actually executed it reasonably well when that was mm -hmm. to get in behind uh, the full-backs of Liverpool and they'd done it they done it to good effect and got some chances and maybe on another day they could have actually went 1-2-0 up and they, and they didn't um, so I think the manager knows what he wants uh, and he's trying to just build on what Nuno had done um, he's brought in the likes of uh, Collins the island under 21 or now full international from, from Burnley. It looks he's going to be a really good addition for them. And he's sort of going from a back five to a back four. So he's trying to move it around to mm. get the best, uh, you know, team and, and formation that's going to get the best results for him. But that Premier League is so difficult. There's, you know, it's, it, it, there's like a group of seven or eight at the top and then there's 12 and you could pick anyone who could get relegated. Well, Costa was saying apparently in his, in his whether he's meant this or not, he said when he he heard that the Premier League were interested in him. It's a league that he's, uh, he's enjoyed and he has interest in. I'm thinking it's the best league in the world, mate. Surely <laughs> he was snapping to come back from, uh, from Brazil, wasn't he? Yeah, he, I, I, he, yeah. he, hasn't, he hasn't kicked a ball, though. You know, he hasn't played no, I know. for about no, he, two he, years. He so. had a trial with Wolves. He had to actually have a trial. And he's, I mean, he's no spring chicken now. He's 33, I think. But so, didn't Look at William. I mean, he went back, didn't he, for a while? Yeah. And then he's come back. Is he back at Fulham, isn't he, John? Yeah, because he didn't like Brazil. He didn't like living back, back in Brazil. Didn't want his kids <laughs> to be there. Yeah, but, it, you know, just saying, you, you know, they go away and then they realise how good it is, you know, playing in that in the Premier League and, yeah. you know, the, the, the money that you can earn and yeah. the lifestyle that you've got. I mean, you go in London, you boys know you can get lost in London. You know, you you can get, you've got London, you, then you can pop over to France, you can pop over to Germany. Well, you used to be able to, but now you need a bleeding passport. <laughs> But I've done a few players just to live in, like the likes of Holland and commute over to... Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the beautiful thing about, about Europe, isn't it? That you can just pop around. Why do we get out of it? 
Someone what about, what about Liverpool, Ray? Their start because uh, people are doom and gloom about Liverpool. Did they? I, they I'm, they... I'm not one of them, Jonathan. I'm, I'm more of a, a, a realist. I, I look at when I used to play. I never used to feel that I was up to pace till about October. When I really felt fit mm-hmm. in myself, um, fit, you know, assured in my touch, really had my mind focused on the, the season. It used to take you about six, seven, eight games to to get to that level. Whereas new everything's immediacy in football. It's, it's here the moment. You know, it was like Arteta last season. Arsenal got off to went three games without winning. He's the worst coach in Arsenal's history. You know, this season he's won the first four or whatever it was. He's the best manager in Arsenal. That's how football has changed over the last few years. And with Liverpool, I'll give you some examples. Liverpool played six league games. In the first three, they had, they had 67%, 70% and 73% possession of the ball. They had more goal-scoring opportunities than every other team that they played against. And and, and some matches by a long way. And they picked up two points out of nine. So you've got to question why. Why did that happen? Instead of going to, why did that happen? I'll tell you why. Because the chances they're creating aren't guilt-edged. And the lads are a little bit off and snatching at things in the final third. And defensively, as a team, and we're not just talking about a back four, they're too open. They've given up too many chances. So why, why is that happening? Well, they've always pushed the full-backs on, but your central midfielder, whether it be Henderson, Fabinho, sitting in front of the back four, he was your linchpin, if you like, who went from side to side to you know cover the full-backs when they went into advanced positions. They haven't been doing that well enough. The, the, the chances they've given up, you have a look where the goals are coming from. It's normally with the two full-backs push on, Ball's played over the top and there's a foot race between them and the centre-backs and goals have been conceded that way. Mitrovic in the uh, 2-2 game against uh, Liverpool first game of the season overpowers Trent at the far post for a header. They are the goals that they've been given up. They weren't doing that uh, too often in the last few seasons. I watched the game against Napoli and it was very much like um, the game against uh, Aston Villa when they lost 7-2, when they were just all over the place. No mm. one's in charge. No one's no one's taking the control of any part of the the pitch, and they looked far too open. Jurgen's come out this week and said we've look, got to look at the defensive side of things as a team. So I expect Liverpool from the front to the back to defend much better in the coming weeks. And if they do that with the chances that create in the ball position that they've got, they'll start to win games. I feel like he plays Alexander Arnold really high this season. There's times he's, he looks like a flipping proper right right winger. Yeah, I, I, and I think even with Robert, see, Robertson's a bit fitter. Yeah. He's a bit quicker. He's a bit quicker when he's, you know, when he loses position, he gets back in his position a bit quicker. So they're not as isolated on the left as they are on the right. Mm. Now, that's how the manager wants to play. So you, you can't really blame Trent too much because it's the manager's asking oh. him to do that, to go into advanced position. Now, look, going forward, Trent will create opportunities. He's got unbelievable vision. He's one of the best attacking fullbacks in world football. But football's a two-sided game. It's not just about when you've got the ball, what you do is. It's mm. what you do when you haven't got the ball. And that's an area where he could improve and Liverpool can improve so that when they're playing in these games, they start winning them rather than losing them in the manner they have. But you know, no one's outplayed them. No, no one's had more chances than them. They're not as if they're giving up chance after chance after chance. That was only the Napoli the game. But the six league games, that hasn't been the case. Mm. And the least possession they've had is 60% against Everton away from home, which, you know, in that day they had another lot of chances they didn't take and Pickford had a good a, a good, good game and goal for, for Everton. Unbelievable. He was unbelievable, Pickford. 
Unbelievable. Do you ever do a thing where, right, let me ask you this, as you, you kind of brought it up. If the manager's told you to do something, right, and you're doing your job, and after a while you're thinking, this is not working for me, I'm, do you ever think, I'm just going to take this into my own hands here? Uh, I've done that lots of times, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good answer. No, because, because no, they, look, listen, you can have a game. Self-preservation, plan. surely. No, no, it's not, it's not that. You're, look, look, the manager can't play the game for you. He can no. give you instructions, but when you're on the field, when I'll give you an example. I remember playing a long time ago. We played Man City, and I was at Reading, and Man City were low down the league, so much more than they were before. And if we, had got, we were playing at, at City at the time, and if we'd have got a draw before the game, I would have said it would have been a good result. But City had a man sent off. So there were only 10 men. So all of a sudden, I was thinking, mm. a point's not a good result. A win's what we should be getting against 10 men. So your attitude's got to change. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to adapt on the pitch to certain moments to what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if players are keep running in behind you, you've got to say, well, we've got to stop that. How do we stop that? Actually, we stop the source, which is the player on the ball, or we get back into a good defensive shape. But you've got, to, you've got to be able to understand that problem when you're on the pitch. So that's yeah. what you do as a player. You adapt to the situation. The manager might have said to you, I want you running up and down the pitch. But if you don't think it's right, then you've got to turn around and go, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to do we, that. We, right. Would you have a manager also say to you, well done, Ray, for doing that? You know, coming at half time and go, you've done well there to, to adapt to that. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Because right. they would have understood as well at the same time that you're doing the right thing. Because... Yeah, right. You've realised where the area is where the opposition is getting some joy and you're trying to nullify that. And that's what football should be about, yeah. nullifying the opposition and then you imposing yourself on, on them to get the victory. Would you have taken on Jack Charlton? If he, if he... <laughs> we did, to a certain extent. We didn't play the ball around the back. But, but I'll tell you when we, done, when we played uh, the USSR in 1988 at the Euros, the second game, uh, we played outstanding football. And that was because... Uh, we'd like to play in behind the opposition. That's what Jack wanted. Play the ball over the top, get it in behind the back four and then play from there. Well, there was no room to play the ball into, so we had to play in front of him. And we played some outstanding football that night. Jack didn't say a word afterwards. He didn't say, boy, you lot, you didn't play the ball in behind because he realised the space wasn't there. So he, he accommodated it and said, well, you've done the right thing. You've seen what was evolving in front of you and then you played in the right way. I tell you, mm. wonderful press conference, Ray, in, uh, in Germany in 88. We were over there just before the England game. And um, Bobby Robson first came in, he was asked to name his team. In those days, they were bold enough to name their team. And he's named, um, I think he named uh, Viv Anderson at right back and uh, carried on going and, and Joe Mellon it was pointed out that actually Viv Anderson wasn't in the squad so he's carried on naming his team getting mistakes and then in comes Big Jack and he asked the Republic of Ireland team and he's gone uh, uh, the lad uh, the lad uh, the lad who <laughs> flies back from Celtic to uh, to uh, Donny Gall Paggy Bonajack yeah that's him uh, sent <laughs> off uh, the lad uh, Manchester United drinks a lot uh, Paul McGrath Jack <laughs> And that's how he went through his team, and yeah. of course, and of course, that's... then in Stuttgart, you popped up with a goal, didn't you? Yeah, we, I, I did, and he said to me afterwards, "Don't you ever do that again?" <laughs> and I said, "What well, score against England?" He said, "No, that score that early. That was the longest eighty-four minutes of my life." <laughs> <laughs> On uh, JP and Tina Football Friendly, what we're doing is building up to Qatar, Ray, with um, yeah. going back through the, the World Cups I covered. You know, that I've been there as a commentator. Yeah. And last week we did Terry Butch, and I was saying about I was like a kid in a sweet shop sitting between 
Big Jack and Bobby Moore down at your hotel on Saturday night. Because the difference between the two camps, it, you know, even the warm up to the first game was was amazing uh, over there in, in Italy, wasn't it? I mean, you were so relaxed. You were in the bar and it was, it was complete chalk and cheese between the two teams, the build up. Yeah, well, even with Scotland, because Scotland were in, uh, you know, a, a train, the same training camp, camp as us, and uh, they would come out, and they, if, if one player had his socks up, they all had to have their socks up, and then they had all the cones out. It was like a helicopter was going to land, you know, on the pitch. It was absolutely in pristine condition. You know, it was measured out to the millimetre, you know, all the cones and everything was absolutely perfect. And you came over to our section of the pitch, and... There was nothing. There was a bag of balls and then Jack would just <laughs> run about for a little bit and the physio would take the warm-up for two minutes and then we would go into a little bit of running around and a bit of uh, shadow play. And after 45 minutes, we'd be walking off and the Scottish players would be saying, is that it? Is that as much as you do? <laughs> yeah. That's all we need to do. We're fine. Before we, move, before we move on to your World what I call your World Cup, which is 94, um, just, just a word on that Romania game because... Um, it was it was a very very sultry, wasn't it? Really humid night. Went to penalties. Packy Bonner was your was your hero. And and what what are your memories of that? And afterwards as well. Well, well, the lead up to the penalty. Obviously, we've we've done reasonably well to keep it at nil nil. Yeah, Georgie Hadji was an absolutely mm. scintillating form. What player he was in Paul McGrath will tell you that was the hardest game he's ever had trying to man mark him because uh, he, he was just such a, a talented player. But when we got your penalties, we were struggling to get five. I remember Jack got us in the huddle and the huddle was about, you know, like three metres wide. And after Jack asking who wants to take a penalty, he was about 30 metres wide. You know, everyone was just walking away. <laughs> so we were really struggling to find five. So we had two, which was Kevin Sheedy, a regular penalty taker, and Andy Townsend. Andy took him for his, his, his club, I think Norwich and Southampton when he played there. Uh, so then we were two straight away. And then there was... You know, we had to find three others. So I, I played reasonably okay. So I'd never taken, and people talk about, you know, practicing penalties, taking penalties. I'd never taken a professional penalty in my life. And all the time that I played, I'd never taken a penalty. Uh, so I just put my hand up. I said, yeah, I'll take one. So we've now got three, and we're really struggling. So I went to Tony Cascarino, who was our only striker that was fit, who was left, because John Aldridge had come off injured. I think Niall Quinn wasn't fit either. So we only had Cascarino. And I said to Tony, you take one. And he said, no, he says, I don't want to take one. I'm, I'm not confident. And I said, come on, you're our only strike. You've got to take one. And he said, no, I, I really don't want to take one. And he was, you know, I didn't want to take one. So I just said to me, you're a man or a mouse. And he said to me, pass the cheese. And that was his <laughs> last words that he said to me before ah, he took the penalty. I, I, I don't want to tag it. I'm not tagging one. That's in yeah. his big, best Irish accent as well. And if, and oh. if you ever see, if you ever, if, to, to, if you've seen his penalty, he hit the, the ground that hard, a divot came up, and I think the goalkeeper dived at the divot, and the ball rolled under him. <laughs> Just on the last penalty, <clears throat> I think Jack was on the sidelines with John Aldridge, and David O'Leary was going up to take his penalty, and... Jack was going, oh, no, 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 not, no, no. And John thought it was because David was going to be taken, and David hadn't taken a penalty either. So David scores, we win, and we go through to play against uh, Italy in the, in the quarterfinals. And he went, no, no, David. And he said, why, don't you don't you fancy him? He said, no. He said, but I told Mick Burner physio, if, if we get through, I'll get an audience with the Pope. So if he scores, <laughs> I'm going to try and get an audience with the Pope. How am I going to do that? Well, David scored, and true to his word, we got the, we got uh, the audience with the Pope as well. What was that like? Um, Jack fell asleep. Um, no. <laughs> no. It was, well, it went on for about three hours. You're, on this, you're in this auditorium, and it goes back, it seems it goes back for miles, and there's, 
you know, there's people in there from all over the world, and then different bishops will go up and speak about their their community, if you like, or where they come from. So you have people from Spain, Italy, blah, 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 and you had people from Brazil and wherever, and they would go up and they would have people start singing their the, the songs and that. Not so on the church, was it? Yeah, honestly, went on, he went on for it, and then Jack fell asleep. And then all of a sudden, the, he, he, he woke up, and the and the Pope was doing a blessing, and Jack <laughs> thought he was waving at him, so Jack started to wave <laughs> Uh, oh, look, then, he's waving, he's waving. Hello. <laughs> I'm here. You're all right. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> and then everyone left the auditorium and it was just the uh, the squad and the and the, and the coaching staff uh, who had uh, a, a chat with him. And that was when he said about he used to be a goalkeeper. So he was very interested in Packy Bonner at that stage <laughs> and Packy tell him about his goalkeeping tips. Oh. And then, and then of course, you went. You were beaten by Toto Scalacci, who was the hero of the tournament for for Italy. Mick Lowe's, uh, who was my um, my commentary pal over there, brilliant, brilliant Mick Lowe's, and uh, he did the commentary. That and I sat there and watched up up in Rome, and um, it was a it was a it was a sad end to it, Ray, wasn't it? Really, the way that the way that happened. But you'd had a glorious run. Yeah, we had a good run. Um... You know, we started off poorly. We played England in a foul evening. Do you remember how wet it was? Yeah, and horrible. Absolutely. I think it was thunder and lightning. And it was a dreadful night. It wasn't a particularly good game. And it, we didn't get much better the next one. We played Egypt, which was even worse than the England game. That was probably the worst international match I've ever played in. And then we were a little bit fortunate against the Dutch to to draw 1-1. Uh, big Nile Quinn scored. Uh, and then we went through penalties against Romania and on to, to Italy. There's huge pressure on on us, you know, small nation playing against the host nation. Um, I don't think anyone really gave us a chance. And to be honest, in the second half, the referee was... And I, I, I don't go against referees lightly because I think they've got a hard enough job. But there's no doubt that there was a couple of occasions where we should have had penalties in that game where he just turned a blind eye to it. And, you know, we, we did feel hard done for, by from that point of view. On, on the way down to... Um... To Sicily, where you played the you played a couple of games down yeah. there. The Egypt game is down there, and they had all the sailors in, didn't they? So one side of the stadium was all these these people all dressed in white uniforms. On the way down, we'd had a rocky flight down. I flew down with Terry Neal, and uh, we'd had a rocky flight down. Touched down there, and uh, he, he bumped the plane all over the place. It was a tiny little plane, it like a Meccano plane, right? <laughs> and as we're going forward, the pilot came out looking very very proud out of his little cabin that he'd managed to land this thing. And Terry turned around to him and said, "Have you ever flown a plane flown a plane before?" And the guy's gone. Uh, in Italian shrug like this, and Terry's decked him. No! Terry's hit the... No! <laughs> <laughs> no! We had to scamper down the little ladder there and find a car and get out of the airport. We, we, oh, we, it, was, it was murder. We wrote three cars off while we were there, and uh, Terry's charging down the Via Appia in Rome one day in, in this little car, and uh, Cabanieri's waving at us, the policeman with his finery on, waving at us, and Terry's not going to stop. I'm in the back, and I'm going, Terry, he needs us to stop. And he's going, I'm not stopping, I'm not stopping. The guy's pulled a gun out. And I'm going, Terry, he's going to shoot, he's going to shoot. And, and Terry, <laughs> Terry's going, you're in the back seat. And uh, so that was it. I was, I was the one who was going to get shot, and on he went. And on you went, on you went, Razor, because then you went out to what I call your World Cup, which was in uh, USA, and uh what a world my, cup yeah i love that world cup well my first game terry was um the opening game germany against bolivia in chicago i love chicago diana and, ross uh, was there missing a penalty if i remember right <laughs> yeah, diana ross was the worst contact i've ever seen with the football it was awful she, she <laughs> almost fell over 
shocking. It was, but that's what it was. That's what the World Cup was. We had um, stealth bomber flew over beforehand. Um, you know, it was all razzmatazz. It was, yeah. it was but, but I loved it. You know, I, I loved I, it. I, I loved it as well. I thought it was a great World Cup. And the, the day after that, I went to probably one of the most me- memorable games I've ever seen in World Cup football. It was New York, Ray, wasn't it? And you were up against. Um, Baresi, Costa Curta, Maldini, Donadoni. They weren't Unbelievable. bad. They weren't Roberto Baggio. They weren't bad, that Italian team. And then little Ray Houghton popped up with, with the winning goals. Unbelievable. What a goal that was. And a roly-poly after, if I remember. Um, do you know what? <laughs> I, don't remember, I don't remember doing that. Um, I was a roly-poly? When I celebrated, no, I just put my hand up. You know what I mean? It was quite basic. Um, I, I think it was a culmination of coming into the World Cup uh, there was a lot of speculation that I wouldn't play. I mean, it was all, all in the media. Like Jason McAteer had come in. Jason had played in the final uh, couple of warm-up games and done okay. So there was a lot of chat about Jason was going to start. But I, I remember going to see the, uh, the the doctor, the Irish doctor. I said, look, you know, we need to get, you know, fit and acclimatised. How, how do I try to do that before I go? And he just told me, go into your gym, uh, go to your gym, go into your sauna and start running in the sauna with your clothes on. He said, you know, just... The heat and whatever will get you acclimatised a little bit better for going out there. And I thought he was a bit mad. But I said, oh, look, I'll, I'll trust you. And I've done what you said. So when I got out there, I felt really fit. Oh. I mean, there was a lot. Of, we, we were doing training sessions. trying to tell you. We were based down in uh, Orlando. Um, and the lads, so we're doing sessions and you couldn't drink or eat anything. You know, I had to wait to, to get weighed again. And we were, I think some of the bigger lads were doing about £9 each session. So I was down to about four, losing four pounds in weight each each training session that we were doing, uh, and then that evening you'd be eating and you know like trying to put it back on. So I felt really good and I trained really well. We played against the, uh, the USC under twenty three team, uh, and then a couple of days before the team was going to be announced and playing against it, it was actually Kevin Moran who came to me and Kevin said, "You're in." He said, "There's no doubt the way you trained and the way you look." He said, "Jack can't leave you out." Uh, and I was like, well, you know, and then when he named the team you're in, it's relief a bit. And, you know, and your hard work's been recognised. You put you put in the the shifts to get to that level. And it was nice to be recognised from that point of view. But when I scored, I mean, when the ball got played forward and Breezy heads out, I controlled it on my chest. And my first thought was to play out wide to Steve Staunton. But he was marked, you know, he, he, he didn't get away from these fullbacks. So he was marked and it just sat up. And I thought... I hit it and then I thought, no, don't be silly, it's on your left foot. And then I just thought, why not? Who cares? If it goes wide, if it goes 100 yards wide, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just have a go. And the emotions and the feelings that you have when you strike the ball was, it's going over and then the keeper's going to save it and the last one was, it's going in. And then when it hit the back of the net, I was off and running. Yeah. And I'd done the roly-poly, which I don't remember doing. Terry Feeling come running over. Roy Keane was on the back. Steve Stone and everyone was there. But all I wanted to do was to get to my wife and my two kids were in the stand with some family. And I wanted, I knew where they were. And I wanted to get to them to thank them for everything that they'd done, you know, because I'd gone through that tough period where I was a regular in Jack's team. I was one, Jack will tell you, Jack would have told you, should I say, I was one of the first players on his list. Whenever I was fit, I was in the team. And then all of a sudden, that had gone, that element had gone, that element of trust or, you know, belief in you was had gone a bit. So for him to put me in, and then for the media to be on your back, well, like they were, and then to prove them wrong, that to prove your doubt was wrong, that you weren't washed up or you were still uh, able to do what you could do, that's why I wanted to go and say thank you to the family at that particular moment. 
And then after the game, um, I don't remember my goal celebration. The media came out and said, why did you do the roly-poly? I said, what are you talking about? I said, you're nuts. I don't do anything like that. I only put my hand up. That's my standard uh, goal celebration. They said, no, you've done a roly-poly. And I was like, oh, my God. And it was only afterwards I realised what I'd done. And I thought, what an idiot. What are you doing? What are you thinking about? Nah, it was lovely. Yeah, yeah I know. But- nah, it was lovely. It wasn't. It, it, it wasn't. It looked like someone who was just... I mean, you scored in a World Cup, right? I mean, yeah, no, you, no. you deserve a roly-poly and a bit of jam as well, I think. Yeah, but listen, I, I, there's not many that can put their name to that. You're quite no. right. But um, it would be nice to have... See, it shows you, though, Tell, that I, I didn't even have in my mind, if I scored, what would you do? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> really? I mean, you don't know, they do all the little jazzy things and all that, the little flicks and whatever, and the little dance routines. It wouldn't even come into my head because I never, I never thought I would score, so... Um, I wasn't a natural goal scorer, so I think that was one of the. At least you probably hit it. Not like a, not like when Ronnie shinned it. He won't have it though, Ronnie, will he? Oh, Ronnie, Ronnie will tell you that the goal of the decade <laughs> was Wayne Rooney's against Man City, and it actually came up off Wayne's shin higher up than Ronnie's. There's a lad from uh, he's from London, but his family for Dun- it was from Donegal, and my mother-in-law at the time was from Donegal. My father-in-law was from Cork. And uh, we went out in New York that night and we went to a bar up near Central Park. Um, it was on one of the avenues, but I can't I can't forget it. We went in this bar, right? It's packed with Irish fans and the, uh, the police were in there. They were enjoying it as well. And I remember, I remember, because I had to travel very early on in, in the morning. I went to Washington to watch Norway, Mexico the next day. And uh, um, I remember this bar being huge, right? I remember this bar being huge, long, packed with Irish fans. And my mate, Manus, uh, he's, he, I was having an argument with someone down the end of the bar because the, the, blo- the bloke I was talking to was was not communicating with me. He just wasn't talking to me. He was ignoring me. He wasn't talking back. And I got very annoyed and it nearly came to fisticuffs. Anyway, my, my mate Manus has pulled me away. A couple of years later, I went back to New York. I took my missus to this bar and we went to this bar. It wasn't very long at all. It wasn't very long at all. But at the end, there was a plate glass mirror, massive plate <laughs> glass mirror. <laughs> And that's who I was having the argument with myself. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we, I digress. I, we, I went. I, <laughs> I, I stayed in. Was- I know it's brilliant. I stayed in Washington. Saw Holland against Saudi, and I thought Holland. I thought Holland looked to Winnington. They had Overmars. They had Bergkamp. I, they 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 won that one, I think. And then I went to Boston and saw Argentina Greece. You would have been watching these games, wouldn't you, Ray? And Argentina when they beat Greece, if you remember, um, Maradona. Well, he had the big celebrations, didn't he, when he scored, and it, his eyes were in the back of his head. Batistuta got a hat trick that day, and and what were your thoughts when you saw him like that, Ray? When you saw him, he was clearly out. He was clearly on something, wasn't he? As yeah, he was I mean, you, you, listen, you, whatever you think of him and whatever he's done, you know, uh, what a footballer, the mm. what yeah. a footballer. I mean, he he had more ability than most players I've ever seen. You know, when you have, when I'm asked who was your favourite player, just for ability, it was him. You know, and I, I've been a huge fan of Pele, uh, you know, obviously current players, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, you know, the the, uh, the Brazilian Ronaldo, Messi, oh, absolutely incredible players. But he had everything. I remember we went to Seville for the Republic of Ireland. We were playing uh, Spain in a game and we were training at Seville's training ground uh, the night before the match. So I think the game was on the Wednesday. We went to the training ground on the Tuesday uh, and we had our training session. As we were walking off, out walks Diego Maradona at eight o'clock at night, whatever in the you know after we'd finished with his coach, with a bag of balls, and he was just uh, training on his own, 
and he was doing free kicks and his coach had actually put his hands into the corner of the crossbar and the post and just had his hands like that. And Maradona was nutmegging his hands with free kicks from 25 yards, nutmegging, just hitting them straight through his, his hands. He must have had a bag of like 50 balls, I'd say 40 of them went through and we were all on the bus just banging the windows. And the Republic national team banging on the windows, just applauding them. I mean, I've never seen a skill level wow. like that. He was absolutely phenomenal. Yet, he'll be remembered for the hand of God and he'll be remembered what happened in yeah. 1994, which yeah. is, was very sad. But I don't know what, what it was like for him and what he had to do, you know, as a, as a footballer. It was certainly different to my time as a player. When you look at what was going on at Napoli at that time and the people that were running, you know, Napoli itself. Um, so I, it'd be hard for me to comment on what it was like for yeah. him as an individual, but his life was definitely different to mine as far as being a professional footballer. JPNT, the football friendly. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast. Or your favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all. And therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash pause for 10% off your first month. By that stage, Brazil had beaten Russia 2-0. Romario uh, scored in a player called Rai scored from the spot. People tend to forget him. He's a good player. And then they beat, just before Ray's team played Mexico, they beat Cameroon. Romario, Bebeto on the score sheet. And I know I know something about Brazil. Their togetherness had caught you Yeah, mind. they would always come out holding hands. It was it's quite extraordinary. I remember it. They every game they would come out. You know, you know, like when you see kids in London on the tubes and stuff, or maybe in Manchester on the on the trams and, and they're out, out from school and they're all holding hands, aren't they? And their little bibs on. That's how they all came out. They'd all come out holding hands. I'm right, aren't I? Yeah, you were. Had you had they caught your eye, Ray, by this stage? Because you ah, they're all listen. When Brazil are in a World Cup, you know you're at a major tournament. I mean, for me, they are the epitome of what world football is about. You know, from back in the glory days, you know, when you looked at them in 58, and obviously when you looked at, uh, you know, Pele and what he achieved and watching him as a youngster, he was absolutely outstanding. You know, I remember watching him in 1970 in the final and the level of play, you know, Tosteo, Revelino, you know, Julio Cesar, you name them, the players that were there. They played with a panache, they, they played with for freedom, but they played with a joy. And I agree with what Terry said about 1994. These lads love their country. They love playing for the country. That's number one in their priorities. There might be some others that play in the Premier League. It's, it's club, country. It's the other way around with these boys. It's all about mm. the national pride. It's about playing for Brazil. It's the, uh, you know, the, whatever comes their way of playing for their country is more important than playing domestic football. 
in my opinion. Well, well you know, you know, when you say about that, that, that thing, it's always been in Brazilian teams, that, that flair and that looseness of the way they play. And it comes up, doesn't it? When you're watching any team, if they start playing well, you start singing. It's just like watching Brazil. It's yeah. just like watching Brazil. So yeah. that says it all, doesn't it, really? I'm, I travelled back uh, to Italy against Norway then in New York because they, that was, they, they were obviously the other team in Ray's group. And Dino Baggio won that one. But it meant that the next day when I went back to Florida, the heat of Mexico, if, if the Republic beat Mexico, they were through. Three teams, don't forget, uh, were likely to go through best third place. But if the Republic of Ireland beat Mexico, they were guaranteed to play through, Ray, weren't you? But it was searing. It was absolutely searing. Mm. And the reason that the, the legend was that when they were due to play the games a little bit cooler later on in the afternoon in Florida, that was when it was going to be raining. And the, the myth was that Disney said, no, you can't show Florida to the world in the rain. You can't do it. So the games in Florida will be earlier. And that made the heat situation, Ray, was absolutely ridiculous, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, we actually went to Orlando and made it our base. Um, and then we travelled up to New York for, although we had two games there, <clears throat> that was what we did because we knew that the heat uh, and the climatisation in Orlando would be far better for us than it would have been up in New York, but it was absolutely incredible. I mean, during training sessions, we would have to come off because it would be lightning strikes. You know, and I think hence the, one of the reasons why you were saying about, you know, playing the game at a certain time, which played into Mexico's hands, you know, because they were used to playing at that temperature and much more than we would have been. I mean, I remember Jack putting plastic bags with water all around the pitch. And it's the only time in my life I've, I've actually been booked for running after a player where I'm plastic bag in my hand and it was the worst uh, idea we've ever had because when you bit into the bag the water just went down your shirt none of went in your mouth unless you put it over your head and sort of smashed it from up there and then it would, you'd get a little few droplets and i remember jack shouting at me raymond get a drink get a drink i said i'm not thirsty and he said you don't know you're not thirsty get a drink and it was it was bizarre it was it was a bizarre situation and you remember John Aldridge oh, on the sidelines and the argument we had with the... Uh, the, the yeah, what FIFA. was that? What, what happened there? Because I know Jack in a post-interview post was going on about Disney, funny enough, wasn't he? What actually what happened? Was, was, what happened was, was the FIFA fella had the wrong numbers. So John was trying to get on and he was trying to put it they in. They had those funny sticks, Ray, didn't they? They, they, yeah, they, they were boards where the... Like these sticks with numbers on, weren't they? And then John went absolutely crazy on the sidelines and uh, swearing and, and abusing because he wanted to get on. Because John was, you know, unhappy that he hadn't started. He wanted to be part of it. You know, he thought he could come on and do well, and he did. He come on and yeah, scored and made it made a huge difference. But it was such a tough game. I mean, the, the heat and it was a searing heat. And not only that, I'm sorry, I should have told you was. Jonathan was talking about going to that bar after the game against Italy. We had the worst night ever after we beat Italy in 94 because Tommy Coyne had to do a urine sample and couldn't do it. Oh, no. But Tommy was in there and, he was, and Tommy wasn't a drinker. So Tommy started off from bottles of water and then he had orange juice. And then he actually had a shandy, a pint of shandy to see if that would make him go to the toilet. Couldn't go. <laughs> and FIFA wouldn't let him go until he gave a urine. We, was, we had to go into... Because right next door to the um, the football stadium was a horse racing uh, stadium, and there was actually racing going on. So the players went into there with the management, waiting for Tommy to finish. Silver lining. And 
we we then had to get on the plane, and as we we went up, the uh, the pressure in the plane was too much no. for Tommy. And Tommy Tommy actually had to lie between the three, you know, on the floor between the three seats because of the pressure of the plane right. going up. So the pilot had to drop the height that we were flying at from thirty six thousand down. I don't know, it was ten thousand to you know equalise it out. So Tommy felt a little bit better on himself. So everyone was just more concerned for Tommy than anything else. And then when we got off, Jack just said, right, have a couple of days off or whatever it was. We'll start training in a couple of days. And it was the worst worst night we've ever had after a game. Because you'll know, John, we used to like a bit of a sing-song, bring a piano yeah. in from somewhere and have a few drinks and celebrate. There was nothing like it. It was the worst um, the worst, worst experience we had after a game. And then a few days later, we're playing against Mexico in that heat. And, well, that goal next, and that goalkeeping shirt, if I remember rightly, wasn't it a tiny little goalkeeper, the Mexican guy? With a yeah, really he was. kit, wasn't he? Yeah. Campos. Yeah, yeah Campos, yeah, that's it. I'll tell you what, though, he wasn't the biggest, but he was a very competent keeper, wasn't he? Was he was springy, uh, wasn't he? He was springy, he was like Tigger. What, what a confident keeper he was as well, yeah. you know, when, when possession the ball and all that. You know, you, you thought he was an outfield player playing in goal. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it Campos helped Mexico to the 2-1 win and then the, the next day was another game in Florida Belgium against the Dutch which as I say and I, I wanted to go and see that game which I did because um, I, I really fancied the Dutch but they lost Albert who went on to play for Newcastle United he scored he scored the goal and then I had a night off uh, and it was the 26th of June I remember I can't remember anything else about the night because um, Capital phoned me from London and said the Saw Doctors were in town, Irish band, and they wanted to come and do an interview about their tour. So they came to my hotel bedroom and we sat there in the hotel bedroom with a lad called Cole Durvin, who was a brilliant friend of mine. Ray will know him well. He's now the PR yeah. press officer for Republic of Ireland Football Association. So uh, uh, you know, we 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 had, we had a couple of uh, we had a couple of uh, light Coca Colas in the room with <laughs> with the Saw Doctors that afternoon, and they said you got to come to the gig. The gig was in this dodgy club. I can't remember what it was called. I, I think it had a name of a, of a snake in the club, Viper or Cobra or something like that. Anyway, so we've pitched up. Uh, this lad from Donny Gawley was staying with me, Manus, and uh, Carl Durvin, I think, was with us. And they're serving absinthe uh, at this little um, this little bar on the right-hand side of the stage. I'd never had absinthe beforehand. I didn't know what it was. Anyway, so I'm I'm chunking this stuff down, thinking this is like, this is like limeade. And I remember the Saw Doctors coming on, and then I remember the next day waking up, and I just remember them coming on. I never saw. It. I, I, I wake, and I think I think my mate Manus was arrested, and uh, and and we went to another bar the next night, the twenty, which was the twenty seventh. If you want, I'm giving the dates because we had to fly the next day to New York for the Irish Norway game. And we're in another bar, um, which is down. I think it was called Orange Street or something like that. That was the centre of Orlando, where all the fans, all the fans met. It was absolutely wonderful. We were down that way. And uh, we were in a bar, and uh, another uh, capital commentator, who shall remain nameless, uh, was busy trying to chat this girl up. And uh, he had no chance, and uh, about five foot four inch scouser, and the, uh, because he had no chance, because all of a sudden, these American footballers came in. Tall, huge, six foot tall, lantern jawed. And I was in the loo, and, and all of a sudden, I heard this little voice. So I've come out, he's on the table, right? shouting and he's taking on 30 jocks right 30 american footballers so carl durvin has gone get him out so he got him out the bar there was a car outside his carl had mates outside so we literally threw this boy in the boot of a car so to get him away from these american footballers and then drove back to the hotel which was just down the road from the ireland camp meanwhile ireland and ray had gone to new york and that was that that you needed a point didn't you ray to go through and um 
against against Norway, and uh, you knew them all. It was uh, um, you know you knew all those players. Henningberg was there. We've been Leonardson, and uh, he didn't play against you, but I think Erlen ha- Erlen Harland's dad was in the squad, so you knew them very well. It's a dull old game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a, it was a very poor game. It, it, what happens is when you're when you know a draw is enough, you never really play to your potential. You know, you you don't play the the forward pass that you might have done for fear of giving it away, and it becomes fear football. And I think they were exactly. The same. I mean, they were they were a bit like us. They were a bit kick and rush, if you like. You know, there was a lot of long balls, a lot of diagonal balls, and there was a lot of physicality in the game. There wasn't a lot you watch. You know, to as far as skill factor was concerned, or in fact, I don't remember. I think there was one chance, um, which. And there was a cross from the the right hand side. I think I played on the left that that day because Steve Staunton was was injured. I think Jason played on the right. I played on the left, and I think ball came in from the right. And I came into a central position, and John Aldridge was going in, but I knew it was too high for John, uh, and I called him. He let it go, and John sort of ducked out at the last minute, and I didn't react to it. <laughs> and then I missed it as well, and I remember the uh, the abuse John gave me <laughs> for, for for shouting, let it go, then not getting my head on it. He went absolutely nuts. But that was the only thing I remember in the game. I mean, it was a truly awful game of football. Was it weird though? Jack wasn't on the sideline because he'd been well. Yeah. Was he sent off? Was he? Did they do sending off then, or was he just told to not go? And he was just banned for the next game, wasn't he? Banned for the banned, next yeah. game, yeah. So he was up in the. Up in the gods, was it weird not having Jack on the on the side? Yeah, absolutely, because Jack was such a vocal uh, manager. You know, he'd always be cajoling you or telling you off, yeah. <laughs> depending yeah, yeah. on what, what state the game was. But you needed that sort of experience. You know, someone who'd managed for a number of years, who'd been in situations like a World Cup winner. You know, mm. you needed uh, him to be around just to guide you a little bit. Um, but we were an experienced team. That was one of the things I, w- I would say. You know, there were some youngsters coming in. Roy was not that old. Jason had come in. Gary Kelly. You know, Phil Babb was new, not relatively new to the squad. But we did have the older boys there as well. You know, that was, was, was Ronnie. Like, was Ronnie there at that time? Was he in the squad, Ronnie? Yeah, um, yeah he was. He, he, he was in the he, squad, but he wasn't used, was he? No, he, he came on. Was. He came on against Norway. He came yeah. on. He came on for Andy Townsend. Yeah, but he wasn't used. He was. He was used sparingly. In, yeah. Um, well, he would have been getting older then, wouldn't he, to be fair? Well, he, had, he also had an injury in 1990, which, you know, didn't help matters. And, you know, I think coming into that, uh, we needed younger boys coming in, but we probably should have made the changeover a little bit quicker, I think. Mm. But Jack was very loyal. I mean, it didn't matter what you were doing for your club team. If Jack believed in you, you were in the sides. You know, right, that was yeah. the way he was, yeah. I, I felt terribly sorry for John Aldridge, Ray, because he didn't get a World Cup goal. He didn't play. He, he was on the bench. Tommy Coyne was chosen for the first couple of games. And, and he came into the starting lineup. And what a great goal score. And he didn't get, he didn't get his World Cup goal. Yeah, I mean, that's a, 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 if you look at John's record, I think he's got something like 470-odd goals. You know, it's a remarkable number. You know, and he was, mm. you know, played a lot of his time early on down in the lower the lower leagues in Newport County, went to Oxford, done an unbelievable job of getting them promotion through the divisions to get into what would be known as, you know, the Premier League today. Um, and then going abroad, making that, you know, after Liverpool, going abroad to Real Sociedad. And, you know, he's much loved there. You know, he, the, he scored against Barcelona in games for him. Um, he was a phenomenal player. And do you know what? He was one of the few that, he was one of the first ones I noticed that changed his diet. You know, when he left Liverpool, he went over to Sociedad and then, you know, started looking after himself, 
better than he said when we certainly did it at Liverpool at the time. We were still eating steaks at, three, at twelve o'clock for a three o'clock kickoff. You know, we were still having like pies on a on a Friday before a Saturday game and and things like that. Whereas John had had certainly changed when he'd gone to, uh, to gone to Spain, looked after his diet a lot better, and that, that prolonged his career. Because if you look. You know, you're still playing at a good age when he was at Tranmere. Mm. What a nice man as well, by the way. Yeah, he's, he, do you know what? He's a, he's a Liverpool... You know, I, was, I, was, I was on radio one day and there was a fellow on there saying, oh, you don't get players who are actual fans of clubs. And I said to the lad, I said, I can't disagree with you more, pal. Go and have a look at John Aldridge. I said, because I'm telling you now, he kicks every ball when Liverpool plays. Every decision's got to be Liverpool's. He's yeah. a real fan, a proper fan. He <laughs> loves his club and he's loved them before he ever was a footballer. He was a Liverpool nut when he was a kid. And Roger Hunt was his absolute idol. The reason why he wore number eight at, at, at Liverpool. Ah. Everyone thought it was because he didn't want to take over from Russia at nine. Nothing to do with it. His hero was Roger Hunt, number eight. Simple. Right. In, yeah, nice in, in that second round, um, Germany had gone through, uh, Klinsmann, Voller, they were, they were starting to shine. Spain looked really good against Switzerland. I remember Sweden, they were coming through. Ravelli in goal, Brolin, Darling, they're good players. They 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 beat Saudi Arabia, done well to get to that stage. Romania were coming through. Your old mate Haji scored for them against Argentina without Maradona and they sort of crumpled without him. And so we come to Orlando, 4th of July. The team that I've mentioned before so far on, on JP and T, the football friendly, the Dutch, and you met them again in searing heat, 61-odd thousand. And let me just give you their team, Ray. That yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. What was that team? Tahoe, Koeman, Falks, uh, who's coaching now, Frank De Boer, Frank Reichart was in there. Um, you had Bergkamp, um, Overmars was in the team. And, and up uh, up against them, the Irish boys, uh, Packy Bonner, Gary Kelly, Phil Babb was in the Terry Phelan. Ray, Ray, Ray Houghton was there. Um, Roy King, John Sheridan, Andy Townsend, uh, Steve Staunton again. Tommy Coyne came back. And what are your memories of that game, Ray? Uh, not very good. <laughs> we did have a good record against the Dutch, to be honest. You know, the beat is in 88, 1-0, uh, Vim Keith. When if we got a draw on that, we were knocked him out of the Euros. Um, and then 1990, we got the draw, when like I said, when Niles scored to get us the equaliser, which took us both through to the, the last 16. But they were a good side. You just had to you know, mention there, there was class written all of them, the way they retained possession. But there was a, there was a genuine moment in that game where... I know with Packy, I think it slipped through his hands, one of the goals, which, you know, it's something you never forget as a keeper. But there was a moment in the second half where we were really pressing them and they were rocking a little bit at that stage. I played a ball in to Paul McGrath and made a run forward and he put his foot up and I think it, it was uh, Frank Rijkaard was back there, memory serves me, and Paul just controlled it and, you know, took it away from uh, Rijkaard and slotted it in the back of the net. And the referee gave high foot, which, yeah, you know, yeah, I remember day, that. I, I mean, I can see it now in my head, and I'm thinking, why? There was no, he was nowhere near it. You know, it was a lovely piece of skill. Mm. It wasn't a bad ball in from me, but it was a lovely piece of skill. I and do he, finished, <laughs> he finished it really well. And that was a change. I mean, like, there's turning moments in games, you know, changing moments that turn games. And that was one of them because they were on the back foot at that stage. Up until that point, you know, just before that, they were the better team. But then we started to get a foothold in it and believe in ourselves. And if they, if they were allowed that goal to, to stand, I tell you what, they were being rocking in that stage. Mm -hmm. 
And and can you remember afterwards, you, you've gone out, that's the end of the World Cup dream, and, and uh, Jack took everyone to a restaurant, didn't he, in Orlando, and uh, we were invited, we went as well. It was like a, in a shopping mall. I remember, can you remember that, Ray? We all sat there and families well, I, were there. I, 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 no, I'll tell you what I remember that night. Um, you know, Mrs. Brown Boys, yeah. uh, well, he put on a show that night, didn't he? Do you remember Brendan O'Carroll in the, in the hotel, in the bar? And he was absolutely hilarious. And we were going to play golf the next day at late Nona with Paul McGinley. He took us all there to go and play golf. And it's the only time I've played golf where I've been uh, really, really drunk. Uh, and Paul McGinley shot 70 and he was really drunk the night before as well. It was a, it was a surreal situation. Um, and we, we were sort of forced to go back. You know, the players, um, a lot of players wanted to stay on and go on holiday with their families. But the FAI at that time said there was a, a huge party going on at the Phoenix Park and all the dignitaries would be there and there was an, an expectancy that we all had to go back. Uh, so there was a bit of to and fro between the FAI and ourselves at that, the players at that stage, whether we all should go back or not. And in the end, we did the right thing and went, went, went back. It, it was weird afterwards. It was weird afterwards, wasn't it? Because that was the end of that generation. Yeah, and there was a lot of us that needed to be to move, moved on. We did stay a little bit longer, you know, the, the likes of myself. I went on in 97. Um, Cass went on a little bit longer, uh, Quinny a bit longer as well. There was a lot of players there that really were, should have been coming to the end. But we just didn't have enough youngsters coming through and maybe Jack didn't trust them enough to, to, to move them on. And I think also at that stage that maybe Jack's voice had been the same one for a long time. Mm. Managed since 85, now we're in 94. Um, uh, and maybe that needed a, a change around at that stage as well. Because I'll go back to he was very loyal. He was very loyal to a lot of the older players. Um, he didn't really look at them as many youngsters coming through. Or, but because someone, someone actually done something, Jonathan, you, you might be more aware of it than that. But in 1992-93, the first year of the Premier League, there was 35 Irish players at clubs in the Premier League. And we only could have 22 in the squad. So, you know, there was an overload of 13. Mm. So why weren't they getting in or where, where were they? You know, there was a lot of youngsters around at that stage. But Jack still stayed very low to the older the older boys at that particular time. Did you did you watch the rest? Well, I went on to Dallas and did Brazil against Holland. Can't remember any anything of it. Couldn't even remember being at the game. And then someone years later played the commentary of the Branco winning goal back to me. I can't even remember being there. You know, it, it, it got a little bit odd. And, and a lot of people say... Uh, well, it didn't end when the USA went out to um, Brazil, I think it was. But for because they said, oh, there are loads of Swedish people living in America, loads of Italians. But for me, it did. It died, it died a little bit. And um, I remember going to the Three Tenors concert the night before the final. I remember doing the third, fourth when uh, Sweden thrashed Bulgaria um, and, and they finished third. And then the final itself, I don't know if you watched it, Ray, but Brazil nil, Italy nil. I was there and there were some women in front of me, right, in front of the commentary position. And they, they were looking backwards. They weren't looking at the pitch. And it was, it was unnerving. It was unnerving, Brazil playing, uh, Brazil playing Italy. It was unnerving. They were just staring behind me. And, and I, said, I said to them at half time, what are you doing? I said, the football's the other way. You're not even looking at the football. Why aren't you looking at the football? And they said, because Dustin Hoffman's three rows behind you. <laughs> and that summed it up, really. By that stage, it was all more about Rasmataz and... Yeah. Than, than well, I, think, I, think, I think genuinely, that genuinely is the American way. Because um, my son lived out in, uh, out in Houston, Texas. 
uh, and he's just recently came back. So when I used to go out, I used to go and watch uh, the Houston team play. Uh, um, you, you know, they were in the, the American League. And when you're watching games, it'd be exactly the same. Most of the fans weren't watching the game. They were talking about everyday life or where they're going afterwards, drinking a beer and just having a general chit-chat. And then something would happen and they would turn and, and watch the match. That's that's the way they are. That's how, that's, that's how they yeah. watch soccer. Drive me mad. Drive me mad watching it. I'll tell you one more story before we, because um, I know time is tight. The, the day before that final, uh, no, two days before the final it was, we were lucky enough to go and see the Brazilians train, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, there was uh, two things. There was a big wall down to the pitch uh, where they were training. And uh, the American radio and TV companies were throwing their phones down. They'd ask a question on the phone. And they'd throw the phone down so the player could answer it. And he'd answer on the phone, and they throw the phone back up so the next question could be asked. And there was thousands of them there, thousands of TV and radio. And the training started, and the Brazilians did this drill. There was no ball on the pitch, not a ball on the football pitch. And they were defending a corner, and the corner's taken, and the centre-halves head, headed away. There's no ball. They head it away, and then it was played out of midfield up towards uh, uh, the, the two front men, uh, Bebeto and Romario. They swap passes, chase down the other half, and score, and then celebrate a goal. There's never been a ball on the pitch. <laughs> it was all shadow football. I've never seen anything like it. That's like drama student warm-up, isn't it, when they do the thing with the ball? You ever seen students warming up before they do their bit? Well, no. Drama students. So they throw a ball, and you have to go, you have to catch it like that and throw it back, and then you go. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Have a little warm up before we start, guys. <laughs> Maybe that's what they were doing then. But yeah. I didn't like it. They, that was a it's team. rehearsal, don't it? It's, it's rehearsing things. You know, it's, I suppose it's like you know actors learning their lines. You know, they'll, they'll you know they'll go through it, and that's what it is. So they just don't want to get injured, or they just don't whatever the, the case may be. We used to call it, you, you know, like ghost football, whatever. You know, mm. you'd, you'd, there'd be no opposition there, but you'd be doing certain routines just, just to enough. get into positions where you should be. But the reason why I watched it was, is because when you play against one of the finalists and, and you beat them, and then all of a sudden they're in the final, you're, you're thinking, how does that happen? How did they do that? But it just showed you what a good team they were, a well-organised side. Uh, you had Beresi, who really maybe shouldn't have been there with his lack of fitness and the injuries that he had, but to do what he did, you know, take a penalty in the in the final and the shootout uh, was incredible. It wasn't a great game to watch, but... These are two of the uh, the supreme teams in world football. Uh, so, from that point of view, you know it's a great learning curve. Anyone who likes football should watch that. You know, mm -hmm. should watch how you defend and and how you you manage a game. Uh, what, it's not always four threes of the great game. Sometimes nil nils can be also a game that you can admire for the defensive qualities. Well, it, it, I'm a massive fan of Beresi, but it wasn't his World Cup for me. I, I always say when people say, who, who's, who, you know, sum up the 1994 World Cup, and I say Ray Houghton's World Cup. It's been a privilege having you on, Ray. Thanks so, yes. so much. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, everyone. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks very much, Ray. Lovely having him on, Terry, wasn't it? I, I'm really enjoying these conversations about the World Cups. Yeah, well, you must be, you must be loving it, re reminiscing about drinking and throwing people in boots of cars. <laughs> yeah. and that's my lifestyle anyway we move we, we move on we've got Champions League I'm involved in Champions League all this week and another busy weekend I've got a game on Sunday Brentford against Arsenal and so on and so on then I've got a couple of weeks off woo anyway thanks very much to Ray Houghton once again thanks Tell thanks Jonathan thanks everyone we need you to help us grow this podcast so please follow us on your podcast app and give us five stars share on your socials using podfollow.com 
slash football. Also, our DMs are open on Twitter, so get in contact with us via at JPNT Football. A podcast from producer Paul UK. Sports Social Podcast Network.